are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. 1 Kings chapter 20, and we'll read several verses in this chapter. 1 Kings chapter 20, I'd like to see... How many have a Bible? Let's hold up the Bible. Just hold up the Bible. Isn't that wonderful? You know, that would give us somebody the impression that we believe the Bible and we love the Bible. And you ought to always have it with you. Uh, in church, the preacher may preach something sometime. It's not in the Bible. You wouldn't know the difference. So you better have your Bible with you. And we'll read as we look on together 1 Kings chapter 20. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria gathered all his hosts together. And there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest are mine. I'd like you just to notice as we read, Ben-Hadad is giving a threatening message to the king of Israel, the king of God's people, a wicked king, but nevertheless the king of God's people, Ahab. He said, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wife also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine, and all that I have is thine. And the messenger came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet will I send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time. They shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives, and for my children, and for my silver, and for my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders and all the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. Wherefore he said unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king, All that thou didst send to thy servant to do it the first, I will do. But this thing I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. And Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also. If the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handsfuls for all the people that follow me. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him. Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. And it came to pass when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he was drinking, he and the kings in the pavilions, that he said unto his servants, Set yourselves in array, and they set themselves in array against the city. Behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? 
Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the province, provinces. Then he said, Who shall order the battle? And he answered, Thou. And he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and there were two hundred and thirty-two. And after them he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being seven thousand. Now these are soldiers uh, in the area of Samaria, Israelitish soldiers. And they sent out at noon, but Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, he and the kings, the thirty and two kings that helped him. And the young men of the prince of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out, and they told him, saying, There are men come out of Samaria. And he said, Whether they be come out for peace, take them alive, or whether they be come out for war, take them alive. So these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city, and the army which followed them, and they slew everyone his man. And the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them, and Ben-Hadad the king of Syria escaped on a horse with a horseman. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest, for at the return of the year the king of Syria shall come up against thee. And I want to take for our text tonight and a starting place for this message, verse 11. Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. I think if I could get a down-to-earth subject for my message tonight, it would be this. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. And that's exactly what this text says. Let not him that putteth on his harness boast himself as he that taketh it off, or don't count your chickens before they hatch. Here's a chapter that's filled with great lessons for the Lord's people. You know, God had promised about 1,200 years before a wicked king by the name of Ben-Hadad set out in battle to destroy the people of God. The Lord had made a promise to Abraham, the father of of the Lord's people. And God had said, I'll bless him that blesses thee, and I'll curse him that curses thee. That's a promise God made, a promise God had never broken. And any child of God in this situation should have known that the Lord is for us, and God is against them that are against us. For God had said, I will bless the people who bless you, and I will curse the people who curse you. I thank God for his promises. I'm glad the promises of God do not depend on my perfection, but on his perfection. And the promises of God are as bright as God's honor. And God never breaks a promise. But here's two kings, both wicked. One, you might say, was of the children of God. One was a wicked heathen king. There never was a more audacious threat given by anyone 
against God's people than then Hadad gave. He had no respect for God. He had no thought of eternity. He did not believe in retribution here or hereafter. And he threatened wicked Ahab, the king God had set upon the throne, and threatened the destruction of the entire kingdom of Israel. Now, both of these kings are wicked. Here's a wicked king who had no respect for the Lord's people and the Lord's cause and for the Lord's leader. And there's a reason for that. Ahab and his wicked wife were just as wicked as if, if they had not been people of God. And a heathen king looked at them with all their sin and with all their idolatry. And he must have said to himself, if this be godliness, and if this be faith, and if this be right living, I don't want any part of it. That's what the world has always said. That's what the heathen has always said when he's viewed the inconsistencies and the weaknesses of the people of God. And here in this chapter, you see how a man can ignore God in great matters. You know, Ahab ignored God in this matter, just as wicked Ben Hadad did. Here is a situation that every Christian has. If you're a Christian tonight, you will face the situation that the Lord's people faced in this instance. They saw with their eyes some very influencing things. Old Ben Hadad had 32 kings with him. There were 33 kings to set battle against the little flock of God. And they numbered the princes of the people of God, and there were a little over 200 of them. They counted the soldiers, and they said there's 7,000 Jewish soldiers, and 230-some-odd of the princes of the kingdom. These will order the battle. This is our visible army. This is all that we have. But God said, I will order the battle, and I will make good my word when I said I will curse them that curse thee, and I will bless them that bless thee. I meant it, God seems to say. And though these people ignored God, they should have viewed with faith, not with sight. Here are people who said, look at this pitiful army. And that vast multitude, for Ben-Hadad said, as the dust, grains of dust of the earth, so I have that many soldiers. And the people of God trembled as they viewed with sight rather than by faith. I read a story in the Bible the other day. I've read it many times. I read it because I needed to read it. I read about Elisha Dothan, an interesting story. You know, the Lord gives wisdom to a child of God. And I believe the Lord's people have got more sense than anybody else in the world. They may not be as educated, many of them. But education's one thing and wisdom is another. And the Lord had given wisdom and discernment to Elisha. This old, same old, wicked Ben-Hadad would get off over here and plan his council of war. How he's going to walk roughshod over all the Lord's people. And Elisha would know exactly what he's talking about. And he'd, re he'd reveal this to the Lord's people, the Lord's army. And the heathen king was so frustrated until he found out 
that Elisha was the one, knew all of his plans, and was telling it everywhere. So he sent an army, get it, he sent an army to arrest one little old bald-headed country prophet. How you tickled when I read this? A little old, old Elisha, he looked out of his window with his servant one morning, and he saw the hills filled with the chariots of the Assyrian army. And his servant quaked and feared, and he said, We're going to be destroyed. But Elisha said something. I wish you could see it tonight. He said, They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I know what that servant did. He did what probably any of us tonight would do. He, he heard Elisha say, They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And he must have looked around and started counting. And he counted one and two, and that's as far as he could go. And maybe he said, say that again. And Elisha said it again. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And listen, that has never changed. For what Elisha did, he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And he looked out on those mountains where he'd seen nothing but the chariots of the enemy before. And now he sees them filled with chariots of fire from heaven and the angels of God who'd come to the rescue. And that's never changed. That's never changed. I believe tonight they who are with us are greater than all this world. That's what First Epistle of John says. He that's within you is greater than he that's within the world. Now, I know a child of God should be humble. I know he should not be audacious and proud. But I believe the child of God should lift up his head and say, All the resources of heaven are behind me, and they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, Ahab couldn't see that. But the Lord came through a prophet and spoke to him. And he said, you go give him a message. I, I dislike this man Ahab as much as anybody in the Bible. I dislike him. I dislike his wife. I don't care for either one of them. I don't ever want to be around them. I hope I never have to eat a meal with them. I wouldn't want to talk to them. They were, they were worshipers of Baal, claimed to be the people of God. Old Jezebel, she'd have her way if she had to murder everybody. She's wicked and mean. She even ruled old Ahab. And uh, this, this pair comes down to us in infamy tonight. But you know, the Lord said to Ahab, send that king a message. And this is what I want you to tell him. Tell him, let not he that putteth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Because ben Hadad, with your thirty-two kings... And your seven thousand chariots of iron, and your soldiers without number, you haven't overcome the people of God yet. Friend, that principle has never changed. Never changed. Now, you know, we don't look like much. We're a little bitty bunch. That's the way it's always been. One time the Lord spoke to his own, and he said, Fear not, little tiny flock. And I'm not a Greek scholar. But I understand that in the, in the Greek language, it would be the same as saying, Fear not, little teeny, 
teeny flock. You know, God's people tonight have everything. And the surest thing on this earth is that God's program will succeed. And the Lord will have a bride for his son. Someday from yonder heaven, he'll blow, blow the trumpet and he'll take us to himself. Then we shall reign for a thousand years. And that's just to get warmed up. Because then, throughout all eternity, we're going to be sitting on top with the Lord. You know, you've got, you have a spirit in Christians this day and time of defeatism and pessimism. And that was in these. But God said to him, tell that heathen king, boast not thy, let not him that putteth on his harness boast himself as he that taketh it all. You know, this, this, this has happened many times in the Bible. I think of under this very man's ministry, Elisha, uh, that I mentioned a moment ago. One time a, a widow came and she said, my husband died. My husband was a prophet. Uh, that is, he was a preacher. Said, my husband died in debt. That's going to be true of most preachers, I guess. Maybe all of us. I don't know. She said, my husband died and he was in debt. I have no money to pay the creditors. I have two sons. The law of the land is that if you can't pay your debt, they can come and take your sons and make servants out of them. And said, they're going to take my boys. And I can just see the creditors standing off, rubbing their hands and saying, we're going to get them. We're going to get them. We're going to get them. But God said to Elisha, work a miracle. And he worked a miracle. And it didn't happen. And that's the way God works tonight. Always works that way. And God sent this message to a heathen king. Now, you know, this is true in many parts of a person's life. Let him that putteth on his harness boast not himself as he that taketh it off. This is true of the normal Christian life. I would remind you tonight, you're in a battle as a Christian. The battle never ceases. The enemy never sleeps. He never lays down his armor. He never sheathes his sword. The Christian is in a constant battle. In Hebrews it is described this way. But call to remember remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. Now watch this. Do you know that the, the nominal Christian, or the Christian that is not a spiritual Christian, will not be so much aware of a conflict and a battle? You know why? Why would the devil worry about that kind of a Christian? He never prays. He never wins a soul. He never encourages the work of God. Why should Satan spend any time on him? But you let a Christian, you let a Christian be a Christian and be spiritual and have power with God and win the lost and pray and get the windows of heaven open and do exploits for God. Then you will find you're in a battle, my friend. You're in a warfare. Every Christian is. And every Christian should take to heart this, this, Jewish proverb, let him that putteth on his harness boast not himself as he that taketh it off. I hear Christians say, I could never do that. Yeah, listen, no one in this room ought ever make this statement. But for the grace of God, you can do anything. But for the sustaining power of God, you can commit the most wicked and horrible sins that any human being can commit. That's why the Bible says, grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know why? God never wants it to be said of us 
that we boasted of ourselves and then we failed. God didn't want that to happen. Jesus told a parable. He said, there was a man who, who began to build a tower and he said, take heed how much it will take material to build this tower lest you're not able to finish. And all the people pass along and say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know, that's true of a lot of people tonight. I can name you people tonight who took the step of faith 20 or 25 years ago. I can name you people tonight that took the step of faith 15 years ago. And they started to build a tower, but have never finished it yet. And people pass by and say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Oh, let me tell you tonight, what we need in the hearts of God's people is a holy fear of failure. Because it can happen to any question. That's why I've, I've often said and didn't understand all I was saying. I know the folks that heard it didn't understand it. But I've often said the most dangerous sin in the world is the sin of overpiety. The sin of saying, I've arrived. The sin of saying, I've made it at last. Listen, I'll tell you when you're going to make it. You're going to make it all right. And listen, I say it a lot for some of you birds, but you're going to make it all right. But I'll tell you when it'll be, and for this one too, I'll tell you when it'll be. It'll be when the trumpet blows and the Lord comes and we say, thank God at last, this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. And old Tom is going to be made just like Jesus Christ. I'm going to say, I made it now. But until then, let him that putteth on his harness boast not himself as he that taketh it off. This is true of winning some specific spiritual battle in your life. You know, if we be honest tonight, there's not a man or woman in this church. If you're alert enough, there's not one here. But what would say, I'm fighting some sort of a spiritual battle. You'll not win it without God's help. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God in his faithful will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I never think of that verse without thinking of a man. If I miss his name, some of the other old-timers here tonight would remember him. His wife was a very lovely-looking lady. She had thought she was sick for years, and she really wasn't. She just needed to get saved. And when we were in the beginning stages of the, this church on the little dance floor in the tavern that sat right over there, converted tavern, that is, uh, she came. And my, she was fashionably dressed. And she was a lovely-looking lady. And she thought she'd been sick and she'd spent thousands of dollars at doctors. But she told her husband one time, she heard, us, heard our radio messages, and she said, we ought to go to that church. She finally talked this rough, tough guy into bringing her. And uh, he'd bring her, and, and he'd say, Now, honey, and always check it out when they talk to you that way. Now, honey, you get out at the door, and I'll go park the car. And he did, but God only knows where he parked it, because he'd come back when the service is over and pick her up. And he did that about three Sundays. And the first Sunday, she got saved, but she couldn't get him in. Finally, 
drove right up in front of the little tavern building and said, Now, honey, you get out and I'll go park the car. She said, No, I'm going to park it with you today. And so she got him to come in. And he got saved. And I mean saved all over. I, I mean, just a night or two before he was saved, he was down here in the Waldron Hotel, which since has been destroyed, thank God. And he was down there and got in a big bloody fight. And he came in the little castle in building, and the gospel changed his life that night, that day. And he became a Christian. I was sitting back in the back end of that little building one day, and that fellow, he, he was an international representative of labor unions. And that fellow came, knocked on the little back door of the little tavern building, and his face was long, and he said, to the Preacher, I want to talk to you. And he came and uh, sat down, and he said, I have a terrible habit. He said, I can't break it. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it was a little thing about the size of a pencil and white and about that long. And you put it in your mouth and has a fool on one end, fire on the other. That's what it was, really. He said, I, this thing got me. He said, I, I have no control. He said, I'm a victim. I'm addicted. I don't know what to do. He said, I've been saved. I want to be a Christian. I want a testimony. He said, I have people that are lost because I was lost. And I want to get them saved. And I didn't know exactly what to tell him except I knew God has an answer. And listen, God's got an answer for your problem tonight. I don't care what it is. The answer is in him. I turned to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, put the Bible down on the floor, and I said, Johnny, read that verse. He read, Thou hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God, who is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And he began to weep, and I wept, and we prayed. He arose from his feet, and he said, God's given me victory. And I claim that promise, and God gave it to him. I know God gave it to him because I observed him for years, and he lived a victorious life. It wasn't but one week, one week, until there came, this man came in the services of the church and brought a fine-looking couple, a man that had the same position he had. And this man and his wife were saved, and in a few months... This other man died and went out to meet God and is in heaven tonight because a Christian came one day and said, I'm fighting a battle and I'm too weak to win and I need the help of God today. And God gave it to him. He won his dearest friend to the Lord. And I preached his funeral knowing he was absent from the body and present with the Lord. You know, friend, God can give victory in the life of a Christian in his personal battles. I've told you before, I think about, before I was ever married and while I was still in college, I began to come to Michigan to hold revival meetings and held a meeting up here and, and something was going on I didn't know anything about. There was a farm lady got saved and uh, I have her name written down here on this piece of paper. I remember these people well. They became dear friends. This lady got saved, and she went home, and she had a great big raw-bone farmer husband. They had a big farm that was very successful, 
He was a big man and smoked one of these pipes that came down, curled out this way, you know, one of those um, English kind of looking things. And great big guy. So when she came home and said, I got saved today, she told her husband, he went into a rage. He said, I'll go to church with you tonight, tomorrow. We're having service morning and night. He said, I'll go with you tomorrow. And he said, I'm going to run that little hillbilly preacher back where he came from. Thank the Lord, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know anything about it. I was as brave as you are because I didn't know one thing about it. So the next day, we preached and lit into him again. And there sat old Dave. And when the invitation was given, old Dave, the Spirit of God, broke his heart. He came weeping to the front and was wonderfully saved. Now I'm a Christian, Dave said. What am I going to do about this dirty, filthy habit? He went back home and he put his pipe upon the mantel. And he left it there. And every day he'd go by and he'd look at it and he'd take a little whiff. And he said, woman, it doesn't bother me a bit. And one day she said to him, Dave, you better get rid of that thing. Because if you tempt yourself, you're going to go back to it. said, no, I won't ever go back to it. I won't leave it there. I won't prove to you. I won't show everybody. I don't have to be a victim to that. And he left it there. And he kept smelling of it. Now, I don't care what anybody says. If a fellow smoke, uh, that old pipe smells good. And some of you ex-smokers and present smokers are nodding. You know what I'm saying. One day he came and he picked it up. And temptation swelled up within him. And he was about to partake of it. But all of a sudden, he said, what shall I do? He went to the door and he flung it as far as he could throw it. And he said, I'll never look at it again. My friend, that's what you better do. Let not him that putteth on the harness boast himself as he that taketh it off. You know, back in the old days, the Methodist church used to have a discipline committee. Some of you college folks think that just colleges have discipline committee. That's where you're wrong. The old-fashioned Methodist church had a discipline committee. I never had the, the, the displeasure to ever be called before it, but that I, in my time, I remember the old Methodist manual called for the, the formation, the operation of a discipline committee. And one day they had a fellow up that had professed to get saved. Of course, you know, I was saved in the Methodist church, and in the Methodist church you can get saved many times you want to. I've seen folks get saved 25 or 30 times. And they believed that's all right, you know. Of course, really, I don't believe that, but that's outwardly that's what it looked like. Got saved second week of August every year during the revival. Same people get saved over and over and over again, they thought. And this fellow had made a profession of faith, and he had the habit of drinking. And uh, first time he went to town, he went right back, and he went. He rode horseback in those days, and he hitched his horse right in front of the place where you buy the liquor. And uh, folks saw it, and one day he went in, he had a drink. And they had him before the Methodist Discipline Committee. And one of the old Methodist members of the Discipline Committee said, If you had come to town and hitched your horse in front of the Methodist Church, instead of hitching your horse in front of the liquor house, you probably wouldn't have gone in and bought it. And that's true. You know, the sin is not always in the actual thing but in the preliminary steps that lead to it. 
My friend, any Christian needs to take heed to this verse tonight. Let not him that putteth on his harness boast himself as he that taketh it off. And I won't say something to you, and most of you are not going to believe it. You know, you're not any better than anybody else. I read an article today about the fall of a man, a professional man. And I thought, oh, my God, if it could happen to him, it could happen to anyone. And it can happen to you. Oh, hear it tonight. You know, a Christian is to live in love and live in peace. But the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a person ought to fear what might happen in his life if he's careless. Then, I think this is true of winning a soul for Jesus. Let not him that put it on his harness boast himself as he that taketh it off. Now, I've seen some folks in my lifetime I thought sure I was going to get for the Lord. And I've seen some of them slip away and never reach them. If you think that that might not happen, let me remind you that one time a young man came running to Jesus got down on his knees and asked the most important question that could ever be asked. Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? And less time it takes to tell it, he got on his feet and walked away and denied the Lord and went on down the road of sin and probably is in hell tonight. You know, this is true of getting people saved. There should be no let up. There should be, nothing should be taken for granted. A Christian should Go at this business of winning people with all the guidelines of the Word of God involved in his soul-winning effort. I remember a fellow used to sit right over on that wall over there, and his wife was wonderfully saved, and he was one of the finest men I ever saw in my life. I just wish I could be as nice a fine a man as that fellow was, and he wasn't saved. One thing about him, he's a man of few words. If he said hello to you, I mean, he was making a speech. He's one of the quietest fellows I've ever seen in my life, and I'm not exaggerating. And I thought of him tonight, Mike uh, Holman, because your dad and I were in his home when that man was saved. He'd come with his wife. He'd sit here and hear the Word of God. He, he'd bring her. He, he wouldn't want, didn't want her to miss. I don't know how many evangelists came here and preached and, and tried to win that man to the Lord. And nobody could win him. One day, Frank Holman and I went to the home of this man, and uh, we couldn't get him to say a word. Of course, that was, that was nothing unusual about that. He never did say much. And he was quiet. He sat there. We'd give him the gospel and the word of God, and he'd just look at both of us. Finally, Brother Holman did something I rarely ever see people do. He laid his Bible down, and Frank Holman went over and got in front of this man he got right down on his knees, and he looked up in his face, and he said, Charlie, you've denied the Lord long enough, and my heart is burdened for your soul, and I want you to be saved. And I saw that man of few words begin to speak and to weep and say, I do want to be saved. And there in his home that day, we led him to Christ. Oh, listen, that's what Christians can do. If they go at it, knowing that it's only with God's help that people can be saved. You know, this is true of the opposition of evil people. Uh, Evil people can't do people any harm. I mean, God's people. You know that? We had a fellow live about a half a mile from here one time. They're going to run everybody off from here in the college. 
He'd shoot out our lights. He took a few shots at some of our people. And uh, they're mean. Called me up one day and he said, I've got a black belt. Now, I'd never heard of karate. I didn't know anything about it. I said, well, i got a brown belt. But that don't mean anything. And he listen, he was tough. And uh, he, he set out to intimidate this whole work of the Lord. That's the truth if I ever told it. I, I lift my hand to God. That's the truth tonight with his threats. One day, one of his little boys caught on fire and burned to death. This church prayed and prayed while the little boy hovered between life and death in the burn center at Ann Arbor Hospital. God softened his heart. I want to tell you, no weapon that's lifted against a Christian and lifted against a Christian church, God said, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Why, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I don't care how many soldiers you have been, hey, Dad. Ahab has the promise of God that will not fail. You know, you can't presume with God. I've seen unsaved people do it. I preached a little sweet girl's funeral. A little girl, I think 11 years of age. And I heard her daddy stand at her casket and weep and cry. And he said, she begged me to go to church. She begged me to go to church. And he said, I kept telling her I'd go, but I never did. But I'm here now. You can't presume with God. I say to you tonight, if you're not a Christian, you may think you have things under control. But remember, God said, let not him that putteth on his harness boast himself as he that taketh it off. You have to reckon with God. No way around it. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.